I am fortunate enough to be able to be somebody who is allowed into their life to help just talk about the process and work through it. So that's really how I became involved. Hello there. Thanks for joining me today on Fertility Cafe. There are many different aspects to family building and mental health is certainly one of the most important. Specialized mental health professionals not only support and guide those who are struggling with family building, they often weave networks of connection and support for the patients and those who feel deeply moved by the community go truly above and beyond and advocate and work to create change on behalf of their patient communities. Today, my guest, Lori Metz, and I are going to talk a bit more about mental health and family building and on her efforts to expand inclusion and awareness for families and individuals who have worked with third-party reproduction. Lori Metz is a licensed clinical social work therapist and certified case manager. She works with individuals, couples, and families and specializes in relationships and fertility. She is the creator of I Dreamed of You, a children's book about egg donation written for a young audience to introduce the essential conversation of honest and honored origins and also has her own podcast, Love Insight Fertility Experience. Lori is also the originator of the Ask Initiative, a mission and petition which aims to improve health outcomes and normalize third-party reproduction by including such options on medical intake forms under family history. Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Thank you for joining me today, Lori. Would love for you to share a bit more about yourself to our listeners and talk also about if you have any personal connections to the field of third-party family building or if you've just been inspired primarily by your patients. Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for asking me to be on this. I'm like so thrilled and honored. And Jess had reached out to me, who I did a lot of work with on Resolve. She's awesome in terms of she was the, the leader of the um, Advocacy Day. So I got to meet her and then I got to hear about your agency, which is fabulous. And I, oh, you're welcome. And the way I got involved in fertility is if you haven't heard this story, I literally met somebody on the street corner of 91st and 1st. It was crossing the street and this um, lovely woman just said hello to me. And uh, we talked for actually two minutes and it turned out she was an acupuncturist who specialized in fertility. And we exchanged cards and she started to send me patients. And so I started to become familiar with the field and she and I grew close professionally and personally also too. And we started to run support groups together. We did workshops together. And my, um, my practice in fertility and my knowledge in fertility was able to continue to grow. And so I really love the field, you know, and um, the organizations, ASRM and Resolve, that are very involved in it, do such wonderful work. And the people who are on these journeys and on these struggles, many times by the time they meet me, it is a struggle because people don't call me if things are going well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we many times go in thinking that we're just going to have a baby and there should be no problem. And nobody anticipates there's going to be a problem. And for so many people, there are. And I am fortunate enough to be able to be somebody who is allowed into their life to help just talk about the process and work through it. So that's really how I became involved, just standing on the street corner. Wow. 
and, um, and then just working with people. And so everything I've done, I think uh, you may know, is an outgrowth of my practice. Yep. And of that encounter with Miriam Pinellas, yep. who's, a, you know, who's a great acupuncturist and um, a very kind person. So that's how I got started. Awesome. Well, and going back to your point, when it comes to infertility, often people don't associate it with mental health. And of course, you know, they, of course, find a clinic and begin their treatment, but they don't necessarily look for assistance when it's mental health. So would you mind sharing how I feel the two are related And once someone begins down that rabbit hole of infertility, why it's also important to consider seeking assistance for mental health support? Well, you know, first of all, infertility is a medical diagnosis. It's nothing that anybody brings on or does wrong to themselves. And with any medical diagnosis, there becomes stress and anxiety, and those are normal. And with stress and anxiety comes sadness or depression. They, they just like, they all go hand in hand. And it's sad to think about, but it's true. And everybody experiences different levels. So it's almost like what I said before, right? We don't go into wanting to have a child thinking there's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. But for many people, there are. And it's actually one in eight who seeks fertility treatment. That's a very high number. Mm-hmm. And um, when we think about it, it means everybody knows somebody who's been touched by infertility in some way, shape or form. When you're touched by something that you don't anticipate and you don't expect, well, of course, you're going to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And I think the longer you go down the road and the more um, treatment options that you are given, the more the struggle Because what happens is you get thrown into this, well, you know, right? You get thrown into the situation where you go for testing and, you know, they're using words and terms you don't even know what they are. So that raises anxiety and stress. And then all of a sudden you're going to go for blood work and, you know, your, your life becomes wrapped around trying to conceive and trying to have a baby and build this family that you want. Mm -hmm. And some people feel stress and anxiety as soon as they walk through the door of a reproductive endocrinologist because that is the type of doctor who treats this condition. And some people don't immediately, but if they're into it for a while, they do. So it's a very, very common emotion. But what you want to do is you just want to recognize it as such. So if you are struggling with some type of sadness or depression or anxiety or stress that you didn't anticipate before, maybe having problems sleeping or eating more or not exercising or exercising too much because endomorphins get built up, it's a time to check in with yourself and say, you know, could I benefit a little bit from talking to somebody about it? And so it's mental health is very, very tied to fertility because it's a medical diagnosis and one that's not expected. And it's not a surprise that anybody wants. Mm And I find very often that when I have people that I talk to, sometimes, you know, you don't have to say very much, but just being able to talk to somebody who listens is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How prevalent do you feel depression and anxiety is in patients who are struggling to build their families? I think it's very prevalent. I think it's, I, I think it is the rare exception when it's not there. Mm-hmm. I don't know, does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Have and you ever met anybody who's not struggling with stress or anxiety uh, or sadness or depression or, or something? And especially right now. Yeah, especially right now. I know you work with couples and individuals. Can you share what an infertility diagnosis can even do to a marriage? Well, what happens is you know, there's always two journeys before the child 
is conceived and then there's three after the child is born mm. and whether it's a marriage or a partnership or you know even if you're just doing this by yourself as a single person it impacts all your relationships because you know, if you try to conceive and um you know you're trying for more than six months or a year you begin to notice that there's a situation that needs to be addressed mm-hmm that's hard. And as a woman, you know, we take on that it's our fault immediately, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just as much a factor of the male factors as the female factor. And that is something that's truly being investigated these days. That's right. And it's an important note, but men don't like to talk about it as much. But as women, we typically take it on as if, you know, our bodies aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And we begin to, you know, feel very badly about it and we want to talk about it. And we may actually want to talk about it more than our partner. Mm-hmm. And if it's a husband, you know, maybe our husband, you know, wants to talk about it, wants to break from it. And if you're in a, um, a same-sex relationship, maybe the person who's not putting the medication into their body doesn't want to talk about it quite as much. Mm-hmm. So we need to figure out how to find a balance and how to communicate. And then if you're doing this by alone as a solo parent, you need to find your support system. Oh, yeah. So, right? And what do you find with that? You find that your support systems totally change. Mm-hmm. So in relationships, whether it's a, if it's a couple, there's a lot of stress that goes on in both ways. Some couples, actually, if they don't address it right away, you know, it leads to a lot of fighting. It has a financial, it has an emotional, it has a physical impact on everybody. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the three spheres of life, those are the three spheres of life. Mm -hmm. At least in my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like the biopsychosocial or the mind-body connection, but it's really the biopsychosocial components. And, um, And that's fundamental. So when every single part of those three spheres is hit, we need to kind of reevaluate how we want to proceed. Yep. It only works with communication. Oh, God, yes. If there are problems in the communication prior, and let's face it, nothing is perfect. Mm-hmm. I find that it increases in the time of a, a challenge. So anything that was bothering you before you were trying to conceive almost starts to bother you just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to learn how to communicate where we're able to talk, but we're also able to listen. Yeah. And that is, I think, an extremely important point because, you know, especially when you're going through all of these emotions and you're going through all of these things, you know, you kind of forget that the other person that you're with is also going through it. Yes. And we have to remember that because I'm so glad you said that because so often I'll have a couple in my office and I'll turn to the person who's not the one who's going to conceive and I'll say, how are you? And you see this sigh of relief because many times they're not asked Mm -hmm. because the focus is on the person who is going for the treatment. Mm -hmm. But that person is trying to be a support. They're trying their best to be there for the person. And they want that child also. They want to build that family also. And they want to be a support system. But lots of times they don't know how. Yep. And Absolutely. Right? So the beauty of talking about it and listening when you talk is to the other person when they talk is being able to then understand what each needs. Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, I had written this little newsletter blurb about communicating with your five senses. 
And it's really true, right? We have five senses and we do communicate through them. They're very important to communicate through. So sometimes it's a touch or a hug that somebody needs. And I'm very big on that. As long as we respect boundaries, right? With COVID. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that's important. Sometimes it's just listening with our ears. Sometimes it's just looking at someone, you know? Sometimes you want to, you know, give somebody something good that they would like to taste or to talk about. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just lighting a candle or an aroma. These types of things, knowing what somebody needs is really important because if we know what the other person needs, then we can go ahead and do that. The challenge comes in when we think we know what the other person needs. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think the other the challenge also is when we assume because they don't feel the same way you do, that it must be wrong or that they're not understanding what you're going through because their feeling is different than yours. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what do you do with that? Right, right. Dealing with an infertility diagnosis is hard too, but it's even harder to get the diagnosis and then be told also you need assistance from a third party, such as a donor or a surrogate. Um, You have become an advocate to normalize third party assistance. Can you share more about the ASK initiative, which is your effort to have medical institutions be more inclusive and thorough in their medical record intake process? I would love to tell you about that. Honestly, I get tears in my eyes as you talk about it. My eyes tear a lot sometimes. You know, we had talked about the fact that when people start their fertility journey, nobody goes in thinking unless it is a non-heterosexual couple, right? So we have a distinction between heterosexual, non-heterosexual, single parent, non-single parent, right? So if you're not heterosexual, you assume you're going to use a third party. Mm-hmm. You would have to. Mm-hmm. If you are a solo parent, you know you need a third party. If you're a heterosexual couple, you don't. You just assume that you're going to have this child. So in either case, it's very hard when you bring this third party into your situation because it's third party can carry you through. Mm-hmm. And so what I found in my work is that people struggled with it. And one of the exercises I give to people in my support group for donor conception and even for surrogacy is to write a story for the ones with donor conception while the baby is in the belly. Um, and for those with surrogacy while they're expecting, because you are expecting if you're doing surrogacy and if you're adopting, you're expecting when you're adopting, right? It's just, you might not be carrying the child. It might not be visible, but you're expecting that child is on the way. Mm-hmm. And that's a very freeing thought, I think. Mm-hmm. Allow yourself that thought. Purpose of writing the story is twofold, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit obvious, I suppose, to most. One is to get comfortable with your story. We've all had a hard journey before you get there. It's not an easy journey. You have gone through testing and you've gone through contemplation and you've gone through thought and, you know, a lot of self-exploration, I hope. Mm -hmm. You want to be certain with your decision. You want to be comfortable with it. And writing this story allows you just to become more comfortable. And what I had found was that many people struggled in writing their story. Mm -hmm. Not easy to do. And so I wrote a story. It's a simple little story that moms could read to their babies about how they were dreamed of and how they wanted them and they looked for them and they searched for them and then they found them and how much love they were brought into this world with. Because I do believe that children brought into this world with third-party reproduction are very much wanted. Oh, yes. There, it was not an easy journey. And when I've had the privilege of speaking to adult children, 
um, who were brought into this world through third-party reproduction. To quote one of them, he said, when every other kid said they, to their parents, I knew you didn't want me, he said, I always knew I was wanted. Mm. That was never a thought in his mind. So I'd like to quote him on that. <laughs> <laughs> it might be curiosity. So through these conversations that I've had with, with, um, with women and men, what I found was that very often there's a lot of feelings associated with using donor conception. Um, and when it's not obvious, it sometimes is something that you want to forget. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the doctor, you may not mention it. And sometimes it's important to mention because they might be searching for something based on a history. And I wanted to open up the conversation and let people see that it's okay to talk about. You know, I, I, um, I keep saying to everybody, everybody has conceived normally and everybody's conceived the same way. Mm-hmm. Takes three things and that's it, period, the end. It takes, mm-hmm. right? It takes an egg, a uterus, and a sperm. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes. And that's what everybody's conceived, at least today. Right. So that's, I don't know what science is going to bring in the future. Uh, right. Yes. Yes. But we, we've done remarkable, remarkable things in science in terms of helping people, people conceive. So what we want to do is we want to be sure that everybody feels comfortable, whether they're conceived um, with a donor egg or whether they're raised through adoption. So the purpose is to open up the conversation. If we put it on a medical intake form, we are opening up the conversation. Mm-hmm. We are triggering the medical community to ask that question. And so um, the reason why it says ask initiative on the Instagram is because there was just not enough space to write normalized third-party reproduction. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to call it. So I just wrote the word ask because that's what we're doing. We're asking the question. Yep. Now, I wanted to, my initial thought was to put the question um, under medical history where it says mother, father, sibling, and then other. You know, that word other breaks my heart because nobody is an other. Mm. We're all conceived one way. We're all like our families are built a certain way. So what I would like them to do is take out the word other and swap it for donor and add an indice for adoption. And now nobody's an other. Mm. We all fit into a category and that provides improved medical care, mm-hmm. physically and mentally. Because now people feel comfortable if they choose to share. Mm-hmm. And people may not choose to share, and that is just fine. Mm-hmm. And epigenetics, they say you should fill in the information, you know, of the intended mom and the mom. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's to make people feel comfortable. And I again repeat, if they choose to share that information, because there's a big push for transparency today. And, you know, it's been proven that that helps, you know, to be transparent as early as possible. So there's no secrets, but many communities are not comfortable with that. And we have to respect cultural differences. And I think we have to be sensitive to it, especially in the medical community. The other piece of this is that if it is on the form, everybody will see it. Yeah. So Sally filling out the form, who has no idea about anything in terms of family building situations will say, oh, this is another way to build a family. Mm-hmm. So that's the purpose of the initiative. And that's really how it came about. So I was talking about it for a while and I couldn't figure out how to get it off the ground, honestly, you know, because I, I know people, but I it just couldn't. And when I mentioned it to people, a lot of times it was like a light bulb went off. And they said, geez, that makes a lot of sense. So I really didn't get any negative from anybody. 
everybody thought it was a good idea. I've had people, I, one of my closest friends actually is the director of the medical records department. She was thinking, well, you need a small word to fill it in. So she went very much to the practical, but when you go to the emotional, everybody's on board, even legislative people when I was talking about it in Albany, although we were not advocating for that at the time at all, but just chatter. So I reached out to Camille Ganti. Camille, are you familiar with her? Mm-mm. Carol is um, very, very active on social media, and she's an actress. She's phenomenal, and um, she's a huge advocate for donor conception. She has a child born through donor donor conception, and she was absolutely on board with me from the minute I told her about it. So she and I got together, and we've done. Um, we, we thought we'd start a petition, which we've started, and we have. It's on change.org. It's called Normalized Third Party Reproduction. I'm not sure how many signatures we have right now. I know we have well over 200. Uh, and what we want to do is we, we want to get over 300 to present it to the AMA. We want this to come from the AMA also so that they could force the issue. The, um, the piece is that if we can get it on the form and we can get people starting to talk about it, we can start to normalize it. Mm-hmm. And it, there needs to be a trigger though. And I used to be involved in developing electronic medical records. And I think this wasn't anything that people thought about when the records were developed. And now I just think it's a matter of reminding people that it needs to be there. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that they could probably put the resources together to swap one field and add another, you know, if there's enough strength behind it. Uh, so I reached out to Camille and she was on board. And then Jay uh, Palumbo, I don't know if you know Jay, but she's mm-hmm. very much an influencer yes. and advocate ever. So Jay got on board. And then um, I've done a series of Instagram lives with people from, you know, an array of settings like legal and advocacy and medical. And um, Then we did a webinar. And so we're going to start a letter writing campaign shortly within the next few weeks. Um, and we're just going to keep going until we are able to make this change. Uh, I, I think when I heard the story of a college student filling out an application who was adopted and didn't know what to write, I really felt badly. Mm. I thought, why should they have to be reminded constantly of how they were brought up or how you were conceived? What does that got to do with anything? You're being raised by parents who love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And going back to kind of when you were talking about um, donor conceived, you specialize in fertility and advocacy for donor conceived people. And as you mentioned, you wrote a children's book called I Dreamed of You about a donor conceived family building journey. What inspired you to write this book, which is now I understand in English, Spanish and Mandarin and available now through Amazon. It's available all over the place. Actually, any any um, any service you can buy it on. But yes, thank you. It is on Amazon. It's um, my patients, just when I was trying to have them write their story and they were struggling with it, I wanted to write a story to maybe help them to model after a story that I wrote. And um, I found a wonderful illustrator. And in the back of the book, we have a place for people to write why they dreamed of their baby. I do believe that telling the story um, to a child when they're born really helps. It helps the mom, helps the dad, or the, or the you know, other parent. And um, it allows the child to grow up thinking that this is normal, that there's nothing not normal about how they were conceived. Mm-hmm. 
the reason why I said three languages is because everybody struggles with infertility. It doesn't really matter what language you speak, you're all going right. to struggle with it. Yep. Um, and so I just wanted to be sure it was available in, in those three languages. I must admit the Mandarin was a bit of a challenge to get translated. <laughs> yes, I, I, I can imagine. And as donor conceived population ages and becomes more open, what shifts or changes do you expect we'll see? Because, you know, you when you touched on uh, when somebody like the gentleman who was adopted and didn't really have or wasn't sure where to you know apply or what to apply on his application. It's funny, though, because as a gestational carrier myself, you know, when I go and I complete paperwork and they ask how many pregnancies I've had and I put it down and, you know, how many children I have, I always have to kind of do a slash like, yes, I have four children, although I've delivered a total of eight children, four of them are not mine. And, you know, but in this kind of also tricky situation, too, because and I know society, it wasn't something that was prevalent. It wasn't something that, you know, we did years and years ago. And third party has really just become more prevalent in the last probably 40 years or so. Society is changing and it's ever evolving. And we also need to evolve and, and everything also needs to evolve. So, you know, again, sorry, I'm on going on a tangent, but what shifts or changes do you expect we'll see given that society is changing so drastically? I hope that what we'll see is more openness and more willingness of acceptance of, um, of differences. I hope we find people finding strength in their uniqueness. I've told this story so many times. I always go back to the story of this little boy who um, he finally got that he was conceived through donor conception. His parents told him and I don't know, one day he just recognized it through the story. And so he was a show and tell. And the teacher said, anybody have anything to tell? And he raised his hand and he got up. He told everybody how he was conceived through a donor egg. Because he was so proud of it, right? And so how wonderful is that to be proud of something that other people might be embarrassed of or feel badly about? You know, when you look online, you very often see people searching for half-siblings. I think it opens up a lot that maybe we want to look at on all different levels. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my hope would be that there's much more openness for differences and people could feel pride in it. And, and that's part of what my this initiative that I'm doing with Camille and, and Jay, that's part of this. It's to have people feel comfortable and feel good about themselves. I think, it's, you know, they're starting a whole initiative now in changing the way people represent themselves. Mm-hmm. She, he, her, them. Right. So this is just another way of representing yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I hope. And when you fill out those forms about how many pregnancies you have, and then you put a slash, um, I'm sorry, I didn't include that in the Yeah, session. no, of course. <laughs> it's along the same lines. Sure. Right. And as somebody who is a gestational carrier, I mean, I think you are such a wonderful advocate to explain to people that you are not looking to have another child. You're looking to give another child to somebody who wants it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a hard concept for many people to understand or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of going back to a similar story with my own gestational surrogacy pregnancy that I carried uh, my second journey, my intended parents were very opened with their son as well about um, his journey 
of coming into the world. And, and I wasn't actually aware of it until they ended up having a second child through another gestational carrier. And I, I went to his first birthday party and unbeknownst to me, the first one that I carried, of course, I got there and he comes up to me and he's, you know, saying hello. And he does call me Auntie L. Uh-huh. And he was saying hello. And and then he took my hand and he brought me over to his friends and he was like, yeah. And, and here's... Uh, this is Auntie L. This is my surrogate mom. And he evidently for school and everything else, it was like, yeah, I have uh, I have a mom and I have a surrogate mom. Like, this is the most normal thing in the world. And what do you mean you don't have two people who helped bring you into this world? Like you're you're the one who's unusual, not me. Um, and it all goes back to I really, truly feel kind of to your point, it all goes back to what as society are we teaching? What as society are we thinking about? What as society are we normalizing, right? And I feel like we can do better in normalizing third-party family building. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. The other piece of this is, um, I think a lot of it begins at home. Yes. Yes. And that's why the book and that's why the story Yep. Because we have got to have people be empowered enough to be comfortable with their journeys. And so from the first question you asked me until right now, it comes back to the same thing. We have to be comfortable with whatever journey we take. Mm -hmm. We have to feel good in our own skin. And this is not an easy journey to go through Mm -hmm. or an easy process if you're tired of the word journey or an easy road. There's nothing easy about it. I don't know if you agree or not. Oh, I agree. Yeah. So let's just recognize it as that. It's not. Mm -hmm. And so if we can recognize it, then at least we can take the first step of dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I had one woman who I adore. I just adore. And she was in my support group the morning she delivered. And honestly, she was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this child. How did I use a donor egg? I don't know. And I, you know, I went through the whole process with her for many years of her trying to conceive. And that day she was just so upset and so beside her that she went into labor early that day. I don't think it's because she was so upset. She just went to labor early and she conceived and she, she delivered the child. You know, from the moment she saw that child, she was totally, totally in love with the child. Mm-hmm. And it now has a second with the same donor mm-hmm. and, you know, thinking of a third. So you have got, to, I think if you don't allow yourself to process the feelings, then it's hard to get there. Yeah. It doesn't mean you won't. I don't want people to think that they won't if they don't, you know, because we have to know how we process and everybody processes things differently. Some people are very quiet about it and they are very thoughtful and they kind of use those thoughts to help process. And some people are much more verbal about it. What I really would like to do is give people just the ability to give themselves the gift of allowing themselves to go through it. Mm -hmm. And you will get through it. Mm -hmm. So I think if we can allow ourselves to get through this process, and then if we could bring this child into the world and allow our families to understand that this is normal and that this is a loving child because everybody's going to fall in love with the baby. Nobody's really going to care that much once that baby is here. Then we can start to change it. I think it's a movement that comes from the ground. I don't think it's a movement that comes from the top. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, do you have any recommendations or small ways that we all can do a small part in helping to normalize third party, third party family building? Well, I do. Actually, I do. 
I think that um, for those in it, like you or me or, you know, people going through it, I think you can start to talk as Barb Caloris, who is the president of Resolve. She was on the webinar, right? I don't want to, I don't want to take credit for the statement, but she said, start to influence your spheres, mm-hmm. your spheres, your circles. Reach out to them first. Mm-hmm. If you're going to your doctor, talk to your doctor. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could, well, we were talking about the petition specifically, but ask them to sign the petition. Talk to them about your journey. If you decide that you want to share the information with your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your friend, share it with them. Mm-hmm. Start small to smart. Start with your circle. Now, if your circle is too intrusive and you feel like they don't have boundaries and you feel like if you say something, it's going to trigger you, well, then maybe start somewhere else. Maybe talk to a therapist, maybe go to a support group, you know, maybe write a letter to your doctor's office through this. And we're going to be starting a letter writing campaign soon. I think the key is to talk about it where you're comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a different level. Some people will jump on board and they will say, you know what, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to start with my sibling. Or, you know, I'm going to start with just talking to myself in an easy way. And some people will say, you know what? I know somebody at the AMA, Lori, and I am going to contact them for you. Everybody's going to have their own comfort zone. So I would say everybody can do something that way. Now, if this is something you know nothing about and you kind of stumble upon it and you say, geez, this is really interesting. Well, you know, maybe maybe you could look into it just a little bit more. Maybe you could just give it a second thought. And think to yourself, you know, maybe this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something I should include when I talk to people, you know, like, geez, I heard this story that they're starting something where conception should be normal regardless of how it is. So I'm sorry, that might be a long-winded answer. But no, I think it has to start where they're comfortable. Yeah. And I think more information we can get out there on, on whether social media or in the paper or, you know, any ways that people get information, the better. Yeah. And I think another thing, too, is normalizing that someone having to go this route because they're dealing with infertility is that infertility is a disease. Like I I cannot just continue talking about this and stressing it enough. Infertility is a disease. Diabetes is disease. Cancer is a disease. Infertility is a disease as well. And, you know, for if somebody asks you, well, why aren't you, you know, whatever? Well, I I can't eat that because I'm diabetic. It, it, it literally rolls off the tongue like it's no, nothing. And again, I th- really do feel like we as a society has done a disservice to the infertility community. Yeah, I I agree with you. I just, I have seen a shift in infertility, right? Where people talk about infertility these days. I have not seen really that much of a shift to third-party reproduction. Mm -hmm. It's going to take longer because I think what happens is it is all a medical diagnosis, but this one is like a little bit more so. Mm -hmm. Not more of a medical diagnosis, but it touches the heart just a little bit more for some. Mm -hmm. Because when a baby is first born, everybody talks about what? Their attributes. What Mm -hmm. is there to talk about? Right. Right, right, right. And um, and I think that becomes hard because the vision is still, even with, with IVF and the Clomid and all the treatments you're going to go through, that you will have that DNA connection. And, and that's where I think people start to feel uncomfortable. And, and I would love to do anything I could to make people feel comfortable about their conceptions. Yep. And science has moved forward, but I don't think our population has moved forward, even the people going through it as quickly as the science has. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, I agree. 
Definitely. So do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, just that I really, I wish there was like a magic something we could give people to realize that it's okay to recognize that, you know, um, things are, are, can be challenging and they can be hard and they can be really difficult. But if we allow ourselves to go through it, typically it will work out the way we want it to in the end when it comes to family building. Mm. It might not be what we went in thinking it was going to be, but it can come out being a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And that can sound cliche. And I do have one person I work with who always says these things sound so cliche. But I think many times in fertility and in family building journeys, things do sound cliche, but there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. And that's because there's a truth behind it. And it's just finding that individual truth for each person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So please try and be comfortable in your journeys, regardless of what it is. You know, that, that would really be my, my final message. These children are always brought into this world with such a desire to have a family and so much love. And that's the ultimate goal is to be able to have these children to be able to love them. Obviously, you parent them and all of the other things, but ultimately, you know, it is all about that love that you're going to have for that child. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to mention something when you were talking before, but we, we got a little sidetracked. So if you don't mind, I do think it's important people to, for people to know that a lot of the surrogacy agencies that I've spoken to have guidelines for who the intended parents are, not just who the surrogate is. And a lot of them aren't going to take people who just don't want to carry. Yes. Who can. They will only take people who have a medical diagnosis where they are not able to carry. Yes. No social surrogacy is what it's called. And yeah, we are, as an agency owner myself, I do not do any social surrogacy whatsoever. And especially given that um, as a gestational carrier myself, yes, I was willing to help another family who couldn't have a child because of a medical necessity, but I'm not willing to put my life at risk and my family's life at risk for the fact that you don't want to stop as your career is just right now is just too much going on. And so you don't feel like it's the right time. Well, but why should I risk my life then for your benefit? Because you don't feel like it's the right time. I just, yeah, I just have something about social surrogacy that I just completely just do not agree with. Yeah, I just, I think that's so important to note. And I think, you know, it's it's time to end with that because the more educated we allow people to become, the more open and accepting they will be of all of these different processes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lori, thank you so much for joining me today. I'll be sure to add all of your information on to our show notes, but I really do appreciate your time and definitely everybody go on change.org and look up the ask initiative. My Actually called on, on I'm sorry to interrupt you on change.org. It's called um, normalized third party reproduction. Got and it. If you go on, if you have a problem with it, if you go on my Instagram page, it's at Lori Metzel CSW. It's on that with the linked bio. Was that what they call it? Yeah, it's the second one there. So it'll bring you right to it. Okay. Awesome. Well, that thank you so much. Great. Yes. And we'll definitely make sure to add it to the show notes. So I really appreciate thank all your time. You. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope you found this discussion helpful as you weigh your next steps. We would love for you to rate us. So if you haven't yet, Go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Five-star reviews are our favorites. 
You can follow Fertility Cafe on its Instagram and Facebook channel, Family Inceptions. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. Join us next week for another conversation on modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.